And we are back on the beat here. It's been a while last week. We took the bye along with the football team. Had a chance to go to St. Augustine with my wife, Jen, and Franklin, our dog, who's always here on my lap when I do the show. Right, Franklin? Yep. Had a good time, didn't you? And really, kind of, as we got back on Tuesday, decided that we'll still do work. Obviously, a lot of play-by-play, and we'll get to how soccer and volleyball did here shortly. But realized that doing this show, as much as I love doing it, and it's an important thing to do, it does take up a lot of time, so I was actually able to get a lot of things done last week, and now we're back ready to come on every single day between 9 and noon. The show repeats on Bulls Unlimited, and then on Bulls Unlimited 2, the same in the noon hour. Today is a Monday, which means we'll have conference stuff for you as well later in the afternoon on Around the American, and we'll also have the football radio show with Jeff Scott. We tape that early in the afternoon, and it airs at 6 o'clock. Not much going on with football last week, as during a bye week you have fewer practices, but they were out in the community. Hope you saw the photos on GoUSFBulls.com as they were helping build a house for Habitat for Humanity. The game this week is a noon kick, so we'll have to get right into game mode practically here on Bulls Beat, a typical game week, therefore. Tomorrow's Bulls Beat, you'll hear some of the clips from the radio show. Tuesday also means we bring you the press conference live with Jeff Scott at 11.30. We talk to the coordinators on Wednesday. We get another update from Jeff Scott Thursday, and then it's time to get you set for the broadcast. So with a week off from the show, there was a lot of stuff we want to catch up on. We won't necessarily go in order that it happened, but, you know, we didn't even, of course, have a show recapping the SMU football game. We won't be doing that here. A little bit of a disappointment, but uh, again, just acknowledging some of the events that took place two weekends ago. The volleyball team went to the road for the first time and struggled against Tulsa and Wichita, but they got back home, and man, oh man, again, they're 0-6 in the conference and taking a very good UCF team on this Wednesday. We'll talk about it. In fact, we really want to hype it because it's going to be in the Yingling Center If you want to stop by and watch a very competitive team, and I know they want to be more than competitive, they want to win, but this past weekend showed you how close the Bulls are to being a winning team, but just not having things happen for them right now. But with a lot of positives, we'll go through those in our second segment along with some of the highlights from the weekend. Tell you what else is coming up this week, and pretty much everything is starting to happen at once. We are roughly a month away from the start of basketball season, and on Thursday, guess what? It's photo shoot day, so I'm going to be able to post up in the Hardwood Club down underneath in the Yingling Center and get interviews with practically every member of both teams. I've already had a chance to talk to basically all of the newcomers on the women's team, so I'm going to guess that I'll just be speaking to the returners, and that's plenty. That's around a dozen and a lot of key ones, so that's on the women's side. And the men, I've spoken to a few of the newcomers, but we still got, I'm going to guess, around 10 interviews of the men. So I'll be able to talk to them Thursday, and we'll start to spread those interviews out over the next few weeks as we get you set for the season. That's something definitely to look forward to. Along with Jose Fernandez, he'll be having basically two media day opportunities this week, so we'll have chances to ask him questions as well, and you're going to hear those throughout the middle of the week. So we mentioned football and volleyball, and again, volleyball highlights coming up in our next segment, but how about tennis? Yeah, why am I bringing that up so early? Because the Bedford Cup, the event that was hosted by the women's team and on the men's side was taking place in Tallahassee this past weekend. And again, with tennis, it's different. You don't have what you normally do during the season, which is a team goes up against a team, and whoever wins the most matches gets the team victory. This is Yes, members of college teams, but playing as individuals in a bracket. In other words, they can end up playing against each other. Well, let's start off with what the women did a couple of weekends ago now. Again, we didn't have a show last week. 
Sierra Berry. There's a name for you. She is a true freshman from Frisco, Texas. She is 17, and she has the look of a future superstar, and she is already in her first month of playing tennis for the USF Bulls been named the Co-American Athletic Conference Player of the Month for September because of what she did at the Bedford Cup. She went 4-1. and one. Her only loss was in three sets to Isabel Comunares of FGCU, 5-7, 5-7. So she actually won more games if you look at it that way. And she also went 3-1 and one in doubles with Emily Boy as they got to the semifinals. Now again, the Bedford Cup had plenty of competitors roughly 10 schools taking place in this event, and it was on the USF tennis courts two weekends ago. A unique format, basically. It's put into two flights, so the better players basically in flight A. And if you do lose, unless it's in the finals, basically you're guaranteed at least three matches. So along with Barry doing what she did, Grace Eland got into the semifinals, went 3-1, and one, and her loss was to that same player, Colmenares, 7-5 and then 6-2. So you could have had Eland against Barry in the final. Grace Schumacher went 3-2 and two over the weekend, as did Lucia Garrigas Melendez. So between singles and doubles, the Bulls had 24 match wins. So a lot of positives with that club. They'll be in Lake Nona for a Southeast ITA Regional this weekend. We'll talk more about that, and I think I'm going to try and squeeze out an interview with Christina Moros. Might be too early to put the the spotlight too much on the freshman Sierra Berry with an interview just yet, but obviously a member of the team who is worth getting excited about. Now, the Men's Bedford Cup was held in Tallahassee over this past weekend, and again the Bulls turned in a very strong showing with Antonio Muniz Hidalgo making it all the way to the Flight A final. This is the guy who was playing at the number five spot for the Bulls last year. A pretty clear sign that this is a strong and deep team. Won his first three matches all in straight sets. The third one went to a tiebreaker against a player from FAU. Then Saturday went up against Yusuf Rihan from FSU. Won that match. Actually lost the first set in a tiebreaker. Then his opponent was injured when Antonio Muniz Hidalgo was up 4-1. Then another tiebreaker in the final. This was Sunday morning against Kevin Hempfer from FAU. Dropped that one, then dropped the second set 6-4. But great showing for Tony. Now some teams didn't even bring their top players to this event. For example, Chase Ferguson was not there for the Bulls. But Ivan Yatsuk took a couple of matches both in three sets to get into the quarterfinal. A couple of other Bulls were in Flight A and did not get a victory, but in Flight B, Bruno Oliveira. He is a transfer from South Carolina, noted for his doubles, has 11 ITF doubles titles, and made the finals in Paris, in Roland Garros in 2020, obviously at the youth level. Well, Apparently, he's not so bad at singles because, again, this was flight B, so it was some of the, you know, I don't want to call them lesser players. I mean, if you watch college tennis and you see the matches on the fifth and sixth courts, these are good players. They're just not the top ones on their team. And this was a smaller bracket, 16 players in it, so basically you had to win four matches to take the whole thing. And Bruno Oliveira took the whole thing. In fact, he took the whole thing pretty easily. At least his first three matches were by scores of 6-2, 6-4, 6-1, 6-3, and 6-3-6 love. Then in the finals, going up against a player from Stetson, Oliveira won 6-3 and 7-5, so good stuff. And again, the fall season is kind of a tune-up. It doesn't count, per se, against your team ranking. It can help it, though. And then once you get into the spring is when everything loads up. 
the women's spring schedule is already out, and it looks like a pretty good one. We're still a ways away from that, but getting excited about what we're seeing with tennis, no doubt about that. Women's golf played since we last were able to recap it for you. And speaking of good stuff, this was last Monday, a school record. Now, this was in relation to the actual score, not in relation to par of a 279. So when you looked at it, it was just a one under round, but the actual low number of 279 broke the 18-hole program scoring record. 18 birdies in the round actually was kind of a wild round. Morgan Baxendale, the grad student from Vanderbilt, four birdies in a row on her front nine, and that was kind of a steady three under. But Melanie Green, she had, again, they had a bunch of birdies as a team. She had six of them, but she also had four bogeys and a double. In fact, she did not par a hole on the back nine. Bogey, bogey, birdie, double bogey, bogey, then three birdies, and a bogey ended up being an even par round. And finishing off that team score was Leonor Maderos getting a 100 par round turned in very steady. And then Ashley Zagers at three over. So the Bulls were in position to make a run at the championship. But after that one under par round, they were 10 shots higher on the next round. So they ended up 14 over and in sixth place. No one was under par at the event in Virginia Beach, the Princess and Country Club, the E.V. Odom Invitational. Yes, got to mention it, UCF won the thing because, well, they were the only team under par for that last round, six under, and that was UCF actually breaking its own school record with their performance in round three. It was a seven-shot drop-off to the College of Charleston, so the women's golf team finishes sixth in a field of 13. Baxendale herself was sixth overall, actually tied for six with a three-under par for her three rounds, including a 67, again, three-under in that middle round. And it is important to note the difference between the golf and the tennis. We just talked about how tennis, you don't really have the team results. But in golf, the fall events count towards your national ranking. And, of course, that's what gets you into the eventually NCAA tournament. And how about this? The men's golf team, according to Golf Week, is number 10 in the country. You know, we talked to Steve Bradley after they finished second in their opening event. He was speaking about, well, they they, they lost because they had a chance to win and they didn't. But the NCAA rankings don't look at it that way. They look at it as, you know, you beat 12 other teams. Basically, you went 12-1. and one, So the Bulls have finished second and fourth. So if you want to look at it from a NCAA, you know, basketball team resume, they're even though, again, disappointed that they didn't win their first event, and they were really challenging for second in the second one before dropping to fourth. They basically have a 22-4 and four record in two events. So if that was your basketball record and you played a strong schedule, 22-4 and four is going to get you in the top 10. And that's where the Bulls are. They are ranked 10th in the, again, this is just early in the fall, but still, Golf Week has them. Oklahoma, number one, by the way. You got the big boys up here. There's no non-power schools. The Bulls are the highest. It's Oklahoma, Arizona State, Arkansas, Stanford, Oak State, North Carolina, Texas A&M, Texas, Kansas, and then, yeah, your USF Bulls. SMU is actually a very strong team. They are ranked 35th. So that's some of what's going on, of course. Baseball also had some scrimmages last week. No, I kind of stayed away from campus until it came time to get on the play-by-play for this past weekend. You're about to hear what happened in our second segment, but I saw baseball had some scrimmages, and of course we were keeping an eye on Shane McClanahan and the Rays. Boy, this last weekend was what sports are all about. Thursday, I remember in particular, was just a great day. Rays beat the Red Sox. USF wins the war on I-4 in soccer. As far as the women's side goes, I was at a Rowdies game, and they won. 
They've already clinched their division. U.S. men's national team won as far as getting ready for the World Cup, trying to qualify. And then on Sunday, yesterday, none of those things happened. As <laughs> You know what happened in the Rays game. Yikes. But, hey, Saturday was also one of the wildest days in college football with Alabama losing. So experiencing the highs and the lows, and sometimes in the very same match, as was the case with volleyball, we'll explain when we come back. We'll tell you what's going on with soccer, a big-time win for the men, but they still have some work to do to get into the conference tournament. We'll kind of explain the situations for both soccer teams when we return. Stay tuned. This is Bulls Beat. <laughs> 